The Kindness Podcast is made possible by Cornwell Properties in Athens, Ohio. Cornwell Properties offers Ohio University students the best locations to live in Athens. All of their apartments are either on Court Street or within one block. Cornwell Properties. Location matters. Visit their website, cornwellpropertiesathens.com, for more information. Welcome to the Kindness Podcast. I'm Nicole Phillips. Joy Jordan began her career teaching statistics to college students before resigning and shifting her subject matter. She now teaches meditation and mindfulness, and she's spreading awareness everywhere from schools to corporate offices to prisons. Joy, what was that? That was the mindfulness bell that rings every hour on my computer to remind me to take a pause, a few breaths, and remember what's most important. Wow. And that goes off every single day. Every day, every hour. I mean, when I'm I'm not on the computer that many uh, that much, but whenever I'm on the computer on the hour, that rings. Okay, and is that is that is it a bit much? Do you feel like okay now I got to stop what I'm doing, or is it refreshing to you to have that bell? Oh, Nicole, that's such a wonderful question, and it depends on the day. Some days I greet that bell with warmth and love and I step away from the computer and I get outside and I really shift things up. And other days I get kind of frustrated with the bell and just keep on working. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it just depends on the day I'm having. But even on those moments when I'm frustrated, I still usually laugh at myself a little bit. So it can bring some lightness to the situation. Right, because you are trained in mindfulness, and here you are like, no, go away. I'm in the middle of something. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, I didn't want to creep everybody out with the sound of a bell in my crazy voice at the beginning of the interview, but I did want to hear that. So thank you for that. Mm -hmm. You're welcome. I would love to hear how you journeyed from being a statistics professor at a university to where you are now. (sighs) Well, my journey to be a statistics professor was because I love school and I was I enjoyed math and statistics and I wanted to teach. I realized that very early on in graduate school and so getting my PhD in statistics is what would allow me to teach at the college level. And I loved being in the classroom. I love students. I love creating curriculum and delivering it in ways that everyone can understand, especially something like statistics that a lot of people find difficult. Mm -hmm. And so that was very natural. And I loved my job at Lawrence University. I was there for 14 years and that was very fulfilling. Um, All I can say is it was really fulfilling until it wasn't anymore. And I was moving my life in a different direction, um, much more committed to my own mindfulness and meditation practice and to my own creativity and really, Nicole, to opening my heart. And academia can be so heady and we can sometimes think of our students as these floating brains in the classroom. And I was much more interested in the stories in their hearts and what was going on in their lives. 
Uh, and so at a certain point, after a lot of many years of mindful reflection and trying to make shifts and changes, I realized I needed to leave academia. Uh, I just actually needed to make that shift. But I still love teaching. So now I still get to teach. I am teaching the very practices that have helped really save my life and awaken me. Uh, these practices of mindfulness and meditation and kindness and mm-hmm. compassion. How were you even introduced to mindfulness if you if you were in the midst of of all of the academic mm-hmm. rigors? Where did where did that crack come from that opened you up to that? I met meditation in a way that I've heard from other people. They also met it, and it really came from a place of pain of difficulty. I, 15 years ago, I was having uh, anxiety attacks. So in the middle of the night or as I was laying down in bed, my heart would race. I felt this big fear and anxiety. I was having stomach troubles. And I really valued my body. I've been a lifelong athlete. And I recognized that this is a manifestation of the stress that I'm carrying from work. And I need to do something differently. And that's when I started picking up some books on meditation and reading about it and starting to really commit to it. And once I did that, I started to actually notice the differences inside me. And then I was hooked. Then I knew it was something that that was part of my well-being, part of my daily life that was necessary for me to be well. And from there, the trajectory of your life totally changed. You just turned the corner well, I mean, it was gradual. I was still at Lawrence at that time. I've only been away from Lawrence for five years. Okay. So I was still going on meditation retreats, trying to sometimes bring meditation into the classroom, in my college classroom, <laughs> um, trying to have some balance in my work life and um, using the mindfulness practices themselves to see if that academic world would still work for me and then eventually recognizing that I needed to step away. Okay, so I love the fact that you were doing um, your work at Lawrence while you were really cultivating this life of mindfulness because I'm wondering if you can tell us the difference you saw between the you that was statistics professor, you were in it and you were not being mindful and you're having these anxiety attacks to the you that still had all those same stresses. You know, that job didn't go away, but you were approaching it from um, from from this place of mindfulness. What's the difference there? Well, the difference became that I, I saw more choices in what I could do. And that I refocused on what was most important. And to me, what was very most important were my students. I cared most about them. I was somebody who was quite good at my job. And I was asked to do a lot of things. And it was very important for me to have some balance, to start saying no to things. uh, And to say no with some firmness and also with some kindness. Just a recognition that my plate was full and I couldn't do everything. And so I really pulled back from, from the, the huge number of yeses that I had been saying to much more intentional and purposeful yeses. And they were almost always around the students because that's w- what brought me to my job in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was more intentional, more focused uh, in that 
time. And honestly, Nicole, at a certain point, I also recognized that I had shifted as much as I could shift with the choices I was making. I think sometimes we put expectations on ourselves that actually nobody else is putting on us. Mm -hmm. And so I had stripped away all of these things and I still felt depleted. And that's when I recognized I probably needed to make a career shift. Mm -hmm. Even though I loved everybody around me, I cared so deeply about that that community. Do you have tips for mindfulness that people can use in their uh, daily lives in those busy schedules? I mean, maybe a mindfulness bell or something or what? What? Uh, maybe we need to go back and say, what's mindfulness and how do we incorporate it into our lives in some small way? Well, mindfulness is is paying attention in particular ways. So we get so used to just being lost in our thoughts or being swept around by our emotions. And mindfulness is very embodied, so feeling our breath. That's one example of being mindful is to, you can even place your hand on your belly so that you can feel your breath. Uh, And it's also an openness, it's friendly. So just like we're thinking creatures, we're judging creatures. And we so often judge things as we like this, we don't like that. And if we're mindful, we're a little more open to what's possible. We're a little bit more open in our minds and in our hearts. Mm -hmm. And there's many ways we can do that, Uh, small ways. Uh, In fact, I was just teaching a mindfulness class last night, and I always try to give small little suggestions where you can take a three-breath pause. Um, Red lights are a great place to practice, Nicole. Um, You hit a red light in traffic, and so often we think, oh, this is getting in the way of my life, I'm late. And it's actually, if we totally flip it and reframe it, it's a place in our life where someone's saying, hey, take a break, relax, pause, breathe, just be here for a minute or two. Um, And there's lots of chances to practice with red lights. Mm -hmm. Well, and it's interesting because red lights remind me that any time I'm forced to pause for a moment, is the time I reach over and grab my phone and say, oh, well, maybe I should check those text messages. How do we um, become conscious of the fact that we're even reaching over and grabbing it and just letting it be? Practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you're mentioning is habit. And I mean, the good news of what the science tells us is we can change our habits and we can change our brains. And the more we practice, the more we rewire And so, yes, the habit is to grab the phone, but then just maybe once, if you remember not to grab the phone and just relax your shoulders, relax your jaw and just be, um, Mm -hmm. that's also what I encourage people to do is not grab their phone Mm -hmm. or to create a space around the phone itself. So another place to pause is when we hear any kind of ding on the phone, we might have this autopilot reaction to check it immediately And if you can just take one breath, two breaths before you check, that's a space. And any spaces that we create, they allow us to have more choice and they empower us rather than having us be run around by all of these habits that we're doing on autopilot. So it can be a really empowering practice. It sounds very empowering. All of a sudden, we own the phone. The phone doesn't own us. Yeah. (laughs) Mm-hmm. You traveled to Haiti last year. Would you tell us about that? 
Yes. So two former students of mine. So in my academic career, while I was at Lawrence University, I met two students. They were in two different statistics classes of mine. And these two people are just amazing people. When they were seniors in high school, they created an elementary school in rural Haiti in the Central Plateau because they saw the need for primary school education and the impact that that could have, especially in that Central Plateau region where there's so much poverty. And so they created this when they were seniors in high school, and it's very grassroots. It's They are using all the money that's donated goes straight to the school. They hire really good Haitian teachers. And we've been with them. My husband and I have been donating money to them for 10 years for this project because we just believed in it so much. We built, we donated money to build a physical classroom to just be sustaining members because we could see the impact of education on these kids and then also how that impacted the families Mm -hmm. and how it could give them more choices, more, be more empowering. And we met with Oliver and Rebecca uh, before we went on this trip, and they were trying to, they said, hey, come see what you've been giving money to. We're going to do a work trip where we did some, a letter writing with the kids back to people in the States. We went on home visits to gather information on the homesteads, some basic information of just that area of the people. We helped out in the school. So it was a work trip. And Mark and I both initially thought, oh, no, I'm not sure if we can do this. And so, you know, it's sort of out of the comfort zone. We're going to a third world country and what's going to happen. And as soon as we spoke with um, Rebecca and Oliver, we we completely changed our minds. We just said yes to it all. We said, yes, yes, yes. We want to go. We want to experience this. And it was like nothing else I've experienced in my life. It was amazing and inspiring and Every moment I was taking in something into my mind or my heart. We'll get back to our conversation with Joy in a moment. But first, today's Kindness Call, sponsored by Cornwell Properties, where location matters. Hi, Nicole. This is Diane Williams. Last fall, I was behind a young girl in a local store who was purchasing snacks for her birthday sleepover. She didn't have enough money, so the clerk told her she'd have to put some of the snacks back on the shelf. I asked the sales clerk if she'd be okay with me paying the difference, and she thanked me and said that would be fine. The little girl thanked me, gave me a big hug and a big smile, and was on her way to celebrate with her friends. I was happy uh, to, to help this little girl on her birthday, and I was having a particularly rough grief day, so the young girl's reaction was like chicken soup to my soul. Did you know you can be on the Kindness Podcast? Call the Kindness Hotline with your story. You can leave us a voicemail at the number in the description of this podcast. Now, back to the show. What sort of kindness did you see unveiled while you were in Haiti? Sure. That's a great question, Nicole. One thing that happened when we went on these homestead visits So the people that, this is very rural, so we would just walk to places that were nearby this school. There's a school, there's a church, there's a market, and then there are these homesteads in the countryside around it. And we would walk up to a homestead, and it's hard to even describe what the size of this would be, because I would say maybe the size of someone's garage, but our garages here in the States are so huge. Maybe the size of someone's little back porch. Mm 
a really small, small space where perhaps 11 people are living. Hmm. And they saw that we were coming. We had an interpreter with us and because they were speak French Creole. And we knew a little bit. We knew phrases here and there, but we wanted to be able to have someone who spoke it fluently. And they, the people in the house would see us coming and they would pull out every possible chair that they had. They would take a bucket and put a blanket over it. And they wanted to make sure we had a spot in the shade before they would sit down. Hmm. And it was just this amazing sense of whatever they had, they wanted to give to us. And even though they had seemingly so little compared to what we see here in the States, um, they had so much in terms of their kindness, their, their pride that they had in their families in their, in their homestead, that they wanted to give us all seats and make us feel comfortable. Um, it was just, it, it almost brought me to tears every time. Mm-hmm. It was very, um, it was beautiful. What did that look like when you had reemergent in, into uh, the United States? You know, you, you reemerge into the United States and, and all of a sudden you've got people who just seem to be trying to bump into your happy, right? I mean, what did that look like for you? Well, there was a lot of stimulus, you know, that happens anytime you you come back, you know, going through the airports, coming back home. Um, I was really grateful and appreciative of water because clean Mm -hmm. water is a big issue in Haiti. And we saw, we saw young children, five-year-olds carrying these buckets of water, uh, miles, Nicole, miles. Mm -hmm. And so I was very, you know, grateful and appreciative that we had water, that we had a roof over our head. Um, and also a recognition of just all this stuff that we have here. And as, as my husband and I were reflecting back upon it, you know, there's really, there's big, serious issues in Haiti, the clean water issue, the poverty, having enough to eat, the getting good medicine. These are very serious issues. And so I don't want to minimize any of that. Mm -hmm. But what I witnessed in Haiti was also a level of contentment it's almost hard to describe um, a level of contentment or happiness or a willingness to be with what is that is was very different from coming back in the States where everyone is like buying the next new thing or how do I look or all this stuff going on in social media. It just, it was almost like a reminder that the simple life can actually be the happy life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you, you travel to Haiti, you work teaching mindfulness. You also do some work in prisons. I'm curious mm-hmm. to hear what you're doing in prisons. Yes, I volunteer about 10 hours a week in prison. And we teach uh, secular meditation and mindfulness. So everyone's welcome. You don't have to have any particular belief system. Uh, but we go in, I go into both a men's prison and a women's prison. And there's a 90-minute group format that we have where the first 20 minutes is a guided meditation. So the prisoners have a sense of what practice actually is. What does it mean to be aware? That's a really good question, actually. What does it mean to pay attention? We yeah. don't get a lot of practice with it. What does your breath feel like? What does your body feel like? What is it like if we move outside of just the chattering mind and into our bodies? So we do practice and then we do a group check-in where everyone in the circle gets to sort of share what's up and not in a um, 
crosstalk way, but you just get to share in the circle. And there's often some kind of teaching around mindfulness and perhaps more discussion. And then we always end with a meditation. Uh, and so this is very powerful practice for um, people in prison, for people in general, but for at least some people in prison, they're there because of those flashes of anger and not taking the pause, mm-hmm. not even recognizing that, oh, I could take a three-breath pause and not act on this. And that's just one example of many examples. Um, so we see this real transformation um, that it's just wildly inspiring to me when it, every time I go into prison. Do you hear, do, do the people who are incarcerated say to you, like, this has helped me in this way? Do you get to hear those sorts of stories? Oh, absolutely. So it helps them definitely take the breath, take the pause, and not act out of anger, not say the words that they might say. Uh, it helps them to deal with situations in which they have absolutely no control mm-hmm. and to um, act a little bit more skillfully and wisely. It helps them have compassion for others. So even if they're talking about a correctional officer that might be giving them a hard time, a lot of stories of this recognition that, you know what, he or she may be having a hard day, and I can have some compassion for that. Mm. Um, a lot of gratitude that they feel for, for the practice itself and for us coming in. And I would say, Nicole, one more thing about that, because I do one-on-one visits too, uh, these are called pastoral visits, even though I don't come in from any particular religion, but they're, they're visit, one-on-one visits about their meditation practice. And that's really where you get to hear uh, the heartbreaking, difficult stuff, um, because most of the people in prison um, have come from backgrounds where there are cycles of violence and sexual abuse and drug use and incarceration. Mm -hmm. And so you see these cycles and you see how a lot of the people that are in there have been harmed themselves. And so what I do in those one-on-one visits, and this gets back to kindness, this is why I wanted to mention it, is that I always try at the end of one of those visits to reflect back to them their goodness, Mm -hmm. the ways they inspire me. Because so many people in prison, you know, Nicole, they haven't had a lot of experiences, I think, about kindness. Uh, they need to be reminded about it. Mm-hmm. They haven't been often told that they're good and worthy and inspiring. And all the people that I work with that are sitting in the fire there and meditating and becoming more compassionate and wise, they do inspire me. And I, I tell them that each time, and it'll bring even the biggest, toughest guy to tears. Mm-hmm. Really soft, gentle tears to be told, yes, you are good. You are inspiring. You are lovable. And th- to think it might be the first time that some of those people have ever heard those words. Yes. And, you know, it's as a mom with kids and a husband, and I, I get to say those words every day. I get to hear those words every day. You forget that there are people who are not getting to hear those words ever. So... Wow, Joy, you are doing such great work. You have inspired me today, and I just thank you so much for um, the work that you're doing, um, just bringing people back to an awareness of, of what to be grateful for and, and um, the kindness around them. It's just beautiful. Thank you so much for talking with us today. Thank you, Nicole, for what you are doing. I appreciate you right back. That was a conversation with Joy Jordan. You can check out Joy's blog at bornjoy.com. 
Thanks for listening to The Kindness Podcast. It's produced by WOUB Public Media and relies heavily on the kindness of engineer Adam Rich and intern Chloe Meston. I'm Nicole Phillips. We hope you'll subscribe to The Kindness Podcast wherever you listen and find us on social media at Kindness Podcast. If you like the show, please spread some kindness in the review section. 